Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. So, um, it's good to see everyone here this morning. And so, uh, the subject for this morning will be Be Strong and Courageous. And so, uh, this is just uh, the third, fourth, fourth part of the uh, gospel meeting. And so, uh, just for some announcements, uh, let's pray for the Valenzuelas and specifically Corey, uh, because he was taken to the hospital last night. And then let's also pray for Demetrius, um, that she reconnects with us. And so, um, let's just keep those in prayer and for those who, uh, we are hoping that will come, uh, to this gospel meeting and for us to be able to just, uh, spread God's word. And so... Without further ado, Stephen Russell. Let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of Joshua, and we'll look there this morning. We're going to take a couple of lessons from the... um, from the book of Joshua. This one's more specifically dealing with some of the texts in Joshua. And then we'll, uh, in the third hour uh, this afternoon, we will deal more with some of the um, maybe implications of some of the things that we find in the book of Joshua that some skeptics would attack. This, um, this passage here in Joshua chapter 1 is um, it's God's speech to Joshua. He has taken over the leadership of God's people from Moses. Um, We need to appreciate Joshua's relationship with Moses. He's been the servant of Moses from the time of being a young man. And uh, and so there's there's more, I think, connection there than maybe we realize sometimes. As you go back and you see the first mentions of Joshua go all the way back to the time when they were leaving Egypt, and he was, uh, was Moses' right-hand man uh, among those people. He's one of the ones who went up the mountain. Very few people got to approach God so closely uh, as Joshua. And so it's like, uh, it's as if he was uh, an apostle uh, to Moses like the apostles were to Jesus, that he was, he was a, a very close, in a close relationship. And so it does seem fitting when we see all of those connections that there, when when time comes for another leader to be chosen, that Joshua would be the one. The time of Joshua's leadership is a, is a pinnacle for Israel as far as faithfulness is concerned. They um, they they're praised throughout uh, the text for following God, uh, with one exception in um, in the follow up to the conquering of Jericho with the sin of Achan. But even that, they conduct themselves admirably uh, in dealing with that. Uh, to, until you get to Judges, and really, by way of comparison, it's you know they really did well with Joshua. Not only with Joshua, but with the men who were alive during Joshua's time, the, the elders of that day. And, and it wasn't until they were gone uh, that, that we finally see the failure. And if there was one failure during this time, it is a failure to communicate that faith to the next generation. But as far as they themselves, they stood up. And they did what they ought to do uh, for the most part. But chapter 1, we have that transition. And what God is doing is making a speech to uh, Joshua 
um, giving him all the sorts of charges that he would have given Moses and, uh, and, and sort of bolstering his confidence about uh, taking this, um, this role of leadership over from Moses and leading the people. And um, there's a phrase that we see in there multiple times. We see it beginning in verse 5. Um, well, verse 6 really, but if we begin reading in verse 5, he says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. That's our phrase. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times there. In just a matter of a few verses, he says this phrase, be strong and and courageous. You read on down, you'll find it one more time uh, there in verse 18 as the people use the phrase, be strong and courageous, and they uh, admonish Joshua uh, in the same way that God has. And we'll we'll get to that uh, a little bit later as we go on. It is the kind of phrase that really anybody could pick up. The, The world would like this kind of phrase, right? Courage is a universally admired quality. Um, strength is a universally admired quality. And so it's the, it's the sort of, uh, you know, bumper sticker kind of theology that most people can get behind. And they can, they can put this on a wall or cross-stitch pattern. And, and, and everybody can get behind saying be strong and courageous. But God doesn't want us to have a, just a generic strength and courage. He's got some very specific ideas about that in mind. And like so many other passages, they get taken out of context uh, until they just almost have no connection with God. We have to be careful that we don't let that happen uh, with a passage like this. We don't let this become just a, a generic call to strength and courage, but rather a very specific call uh, to strength and courage. One of the things that we need to recognize then about that call is that it is so strongly attached to faith, to God's presence. Why should you be strong and courageous? Because I'm with you. That's the key. Don't be strong and courageous just just by your own bootstraps. You know, that you can do this. No, God can do this. That's the key. That's the issue. And so when David marches out against Goliath, one of the things that can happen when we're, when we're reading about that fascinating story that captures the attention of, of young and old, and he stands up to this giant of a man, this literal giant of a man, and he, and he speaks so boldly, so courageously to him. And if we're not careful, we walk away thinking this is a story of the little man conquering the big man. It's not that at all. It's a story of God showing a big man that he is not so big. That's what David says when he goes out there. He doesn't say, you're not that big of a deal to me. No, he says, God is with me. So what can you do to me? You're nothing. Because God's on my side. Not because I'm a good shot with a sling. Not not because uh, the rocks I picked are, are particularly 
capable of taking a big man down is because God is with me. And so, that's what God communicates here. Look at it again. He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you or forsake you. He goes on, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And he says there in verse 9, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, that's that's the foundation of it. You'll see this. This phrase is actually one that's repeated several times throughout the Old Testament. And so if you back up, for instance, to Deuteronomy chapter 31, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, he says, There be strong and courageous. Why? Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, and He will not fail you or forsake you. He says it again in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 25. He says there, Joshua said to them, this is Joshua repeating his words, Do not fear, be dismayed, be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. God's with us. God's on our side. Over in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and there in verse 20, Again, he says, Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act, and do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. There are several other references, but let's look at one more over in Psalm 27. And we have a, a hymn that we sing based on this psalm that I think is in the uh, supplements that you have here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And so you see the foundations. God is with me and so there is no cause for fear. We get down to the end and we have our phrase, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So be strong and take courage. Why? Because God's on your side. The importance of that connection is tremendous. It is, it is uh, again, it's a, it's a commandment based on faith. And so that it ends up being a sort of a thing where it's a, it's a reasonable strength and courage. It's not a blind faith and courage. It's, you know, if somebody, if somebody talks a big talk, what do we say? Can you back it up, right? And so somebody jaws and, they, and they, they go on and on. And then you say, well, how can you talk like that? And maybe they point over to here to what they have with them. And you go, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I see why you can talk that way. And, uh, and so it's sort of like, you know, Israel, they would look foolish sometimes because of the way they were approaching a situation. But when people recognize who it was that was on their side, the, the evidences of that, and people kind of, okay. It makes sense that you would trust that God. Look at all that He's been capable uh, of doing. And so, and so that's the foundation, the basis uh, of our faith. If you look over at uh, Philippians chapter 2, we see this same sort of connection in the New Testament. God calls us to great acts of, of courage and strength, and yet He calls us to all of that with that 
that association because I'm with you. Over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 is a passage that, that sometimes we refer to in order to point to our own responsibility in salvation. And, and truly it's a, it's a helpful verse in that regard. But we want to notice the connection between 12 and 13. Philippians 2 and verse 12, it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have, just as you have always obeyed, not only uh, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there you go. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've got responsibility. But then he says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You do this. How am I going to work out my... Because God's with you. Because God's got your side here. And He's at your assistance and your aid in performing that. And so we press forward knowing that God is on our side. We need to... We need to appreciate that. As I just said with David and Goliath, that we don't lose sight of the key to the story. I said last night, talking about Balaam, don't walk away thinking that the story is about the donkey and how we ought to be kind to him. The story is about God. Don't think that when we, we, we come to the story, I've seen this in children's lessons, when we come to the story of feeding the 5,000, that it's about a little boy sharing his lunch. It's about Jesus' power over the elements. It's about Jesus' God. And so don't, don't lose sight of who the main character is. The main character is always God. The main character is always Jesus. And so we need to appreciate that connection. Well, look over at Daniel chapter 3. There's a story of courage. In fact, the, the book of Daniel is full of stories of courage of both Daniel and of of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in Daniel chapter 3, we particularly notice those friends. We've noticed already the courage of Daniel in chapter 1, uh, and we would notice it again uh, as we get over to chapter 6 especially. But in Daniel chapter 3, we have a, a golden image that's made, and all the realm is, is commanded to bow down. And you, I'm sure, recall, many of you recall, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among those who would not bow down. In fact, it seems they stand alone in that. I don't know where Daniel is in this story, but um, presumably he would not have either. But they are, in, they are in the jurisdiction that this would have been required, and so they refuse, and, uh, and they're brought before... Nebuchadnezzar, and they are threatened, and uh, threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. It says in verse 17, if it be so, in other words, if you throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, let's pause right there. That's certainly courage. You read that and you think, that takes that takes pretty stiff spine right there to speak to the ruler of the world because that's who Nebuchadnezzar is and to say I'm not afraid of you our God is stronger than you and he'll deliver us but I think if we stop right there we don't get the full impact of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because the next verse says but even if he does not even if he does not let it be known to you O king that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Sometimes people worship God because they believe that He will do what they want Him to do. 
But the moment he doesn't, then they're done. We don't need to base our obedience and our strength and our courage on the notion that God will work it out the way we want it worked out. We, we can recognize the possibility of that. We can recognize the possibility that God will provide a way of escape. God will provide us uh, opportunities, financial even, and, and health, and, and those sorts of things. We know God is capable of those things, and we need to live in faith that He is capable of those things. But we need to have the faith that goes on to say, but even if He doesn't, this is what I'm going to do. And so, if I do all the right things and still end up on the short side of the stick, I end up in prison or under the threat of violence. And maybe those threats are even carried out. And I don't say, well, then I guess God isn't what I thought He was. No, He's still what I think He is, regardless of whether He does what I think He ought to do. And that's the faith that they had. Their courage is not temporary. It's not temperamental. They're not doubting people. They're not saying, I'll serve God so long as. No, we're serving God no matter what hope this is what's going to happen. We think it could happen. We think it will happen. But if it doesn't, that's not the end of it all. Tell you what, when we get to difficult places in life where we are dealing with sorrows in our life, where we're dealing with difficult trials, and we begin to pray to God for specific outcomes, there's nothing wrong with that. I can tell you how many times we prayed when uh, my nephew uh, who died at three years old when he was uh, in his difficult, most difficult times. We poured our hearts out to God. And then he was gone. I know God could have kept him from dying. I know that's possible. But I didn't pray to God thinking, I'll serve you so long as. I prayed to him saying, what, I, this is what I want, God. This is what, this is what my preference but I know, I know who you are, and no matter what happens, help us deal with it. And I know he's going to answer that prayer. And so that's the, the kind of strength and courage. It is a shaky strength and courage that goes forth saying, I'll trust God so long as. And there's too many people that have turned away from God because they came with that doubting mindset that James talks about that you should never approach God with. That says, I'll serve you if. So that's not the kind of strength and courage we're looking for. We're looking for this kind of strength and courage, even if he does not. Um, we also need to be very careful that in our victories, we don't forget God. When, when things do work out, then what we need to do is very quickly. Sometimes we only go to God and we only lean on God when there are difficulties, but when the victories come, we turn our backs, we forget, and we move on, and we revel in the victory, and we soon forget that it is God who deserves so much of the credit. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17, it's one of the things that God would warn the people about, that they would go in and He says, you're going to have success. I'm going to give you success. It's what He wants for His people. But there's a danger that comes with that. He says in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. Indeed, we say a great many things like that when things go well. That I have pulled myself up by my bootstraps. And, and there, is, there is no doubt that our own activity has a great deal to do with how things go in our lives. It's not to say that we're not responsible. 
But but we've got to recognize as as Paul preaches to the Athenians, without God you don't even breathe. Right? You don't wake up the next day. And so every day is a cause for thanksgiving. Every day is a cause for recognition that He is it. Nothing comes without Him. So you go to work and you get your paycheck. You don't have a job without God. You don't have you don't have capacity to to do a job without God. And so it needs to be total recognition of Him. If we ever lose sight of that, we're in danger of following the same pattern that God warns of in Deuteronomy and then we get accounts of as we continue on through Israel's history. We need to be careful, again, that we don't separate the language of God's Word from the context of God's Word. That's what we're really talking about in all of this. I will be with you. That is the foundation of all of this. And so it's the sorts of things that that God helps us have victory in. Philippians 4.13 is the go-to passage for our our world. And and people put it on their... uh, The the athletes put it on their their eye-blacking and on their baseball bat and on their, their football gear. I can do all things through Him or through Christ who strengthens me. What do you mean by that? Well, really what they mean is the same thing that the world's saying, minus God. I can do whatever I put my mind to. That's really what they're saying. It's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, I know how to live with failure. This is not saying, I know how to win a football game. This is, I know how to live life joyfully when I don't even have the things that I need. See, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I am in prison right now. And I have joy in my heart. And you people are in Philippi. And you've got comfort and ease. And you're having a hard time finding joy? What is your problem? You know, I, I'm trying to. I'm in prison, and I'm having to share the joy that the overflow of my joy with you, so you can somehow be happy. I'm over here in prison, and you need to learn the lesson I've learned. That when there's good times, I can be joyful. When there's bad times, I can be joyful. And maybe for us, maybe for us, the harder lesson is to find joy in the good times, because we live in a prosperous place with a lot of good times, and sometimes. That seems to be the thing that gets in our way. But at any rate, we put those passages back in their context and we learn the hard lessons. Our, our, our world makes easy lessons out of what God is, is using to teach hard lessons. And so we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to make those easy phrases to just throw out there and become cliché. Bring them back into context. When God says, be strong and courageous, what is He saying? He's saying, recognize that I'm there. That's it. Learn the lesson that God is with you when you're on His side. But that brings us to uh, another observation, and that is that for all of God's proclamation of I'm with you, I'm right by your side, no one can stand against you, uh, we need to recognize the conditional nature of that. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we read just a moment ago there, in verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Continue reading down through the context. This is, this is Moses' farewell address. He's saying the last few things he'll say before in the latter part of this very chapter, he'll hand the reins over to Joshua, the son of Nun. And so he says in verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, 
Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with strange gods of the land into the midst of which they are going. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be consumed and many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But surely I will hide my face in that day because all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. So for all this language that God has been speaking through Moses that I'm on your side, I'm right by you. Then he says, but soon enough they'll forget that. And they'll go their own way. And I won't follow them. You know, that's the thing people, people say. God is by my side. He's by your side as long as you're by His side. And if you decide to go a different path, He won't go down that path with you. He doesn't move. You see, if you want God on your side, you've got to go towards Him. He's not coming to where you are. I think of the, the parable of the, the prodigal son, which is beautiful. I mean, it's, it brings tears to your eyes to, to think of the reconciliation of that parable. But you know that daddy doesn't go get in the pigsty. He doesn't go and, and sit down by him and eat the pods with him. He waits eagerly. He wants to open his arms. He wants to give him good things. But he can't give him good things when, when the son refuses him, when he walks away from him. That's God. You be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm by your side. And then somebody goes and they, they walk headlong into the slavery of sin and they say, where is God now? The same place He always was. He hasn't moved. You have. And He beckons you back. And He says, I'll still be here. I never have moved. And so we, we can always know where God is. And so it's, again, like Paul says to the Athenians, He's not far from any of us. And you grope for Him and you will find Him in the same place he, he ever was. Well, let's make a couple of other observations. The second observation, uh, after noting the, the, the faithfulness of this, to note that God is near us, that's why we're strong and courageous. Another uh, aspect that I, I hope you recognize is the importance of the repetition. Anytime you see repetition, you need to make note of it. God, God does not repeat Himself because he doesn't know what else to say. He doesn't use filler words. He doesn't say, uh. He doesn't say, like. He intentionally repeats himself. So make note of it. When you're reading through the book of Leviticus, you ought to get a sense that of the holiness of God. That word holy is more times used in the book of Leviticus than all the other Old Testament books combined. What does that mean? This book's about holiness. You ought to read through Philippians and see how many times the word joy is used more frequently than any other book in the Bible. I ought to tell you something. Paul's preaching about joy. He wants these people to be a joyful people. You want to learn about joy, go there. One of the things I like to tell people is, um, you know, when we start talking about uh, Revelation, everybody wants to study Revelation. You ever notice that? You try to get a Bible study. I want to study Revelation. And I always ask him, I say, do you always like to start at the end of a book reading it? 
You know, let's start at the beginning. But anyway, you open up Revelation and they're like, they, they want to know about the kingdom. And, and the kingdom that's coming, this premillennial kingdom. You know, the, the word kingdom's twice mentioned in Revelation. 52 times it's mentioned in Matthew. You want to study about the kingdom, let's open up the Gospels. That's where the kingdom is. And so people don't pay attention. They don't pay attention to when God's repeating Himself. They, they pick out uh, ob- obscure passages that, that really are not thematic and they hold them up and say, here, here's the thing I want to look at. Look, look at what God is punching home over and over and over. I think that we need to not allow repetition to become cliche in our minds. That when God uses a phrase over and over and over, it's not because He wants it to become cliche. He doesn't want it to become mind-numbing. What He wants is for you to never forget it. He wants it to ring in your ears. It's it's why we take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. This, This sort of thing, taking the Lord's Supper... It's a ceremony. It's the very sort of thing that the world says will keep you from being uh, devoted. It'll dull your heart doing the same thing over and over. And God says, it's not true. It's not true. Doing the same thing over and over and over again ought to make it more and more precious and more and more just a part of who you are. I, I, I think with uh, my children... When I tell them things that I tell them all the time, they don't. Now, maybe maybe when they get a little bit older, but they're they're in their teen years now. But they don't say to me, "Daddy, don't say you love us anymore." You know, they, they don't they don't say, "I'm just I'm just tired of hearing that." And when they were particularly small, there were other things that they liked to hear. And you go and you tell them stories and you say certain phrases to them. And if you don't, they let you know about it. They say, why didn't you say this? And you might say, well, I thought you'd be tired of hearing that. I never get tired of hearing that. And we ought to never get tired of hearing what God has to say to us. Even if it's the same thing over and over and over. And what ought to happen with those kinds of phrases that's be strong and courageous. It's, and, and sometimes it's implicit that God is saying, pay attention because he's repeating himself. Here, it's explicit. He said, are you listening to me, Joshua? Do you hear what I'm saying? Haven't I said this already? I'm going to say it again. Be strong and courageous. And the idea is, when, when things are tough, you know, for me, I think about growing up and the things that I heard over and over and over. And when I made slides away from God in, in, in a time in my life where I wanted what the world had to offer, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my head the ringing phrases of my youth. I couldn't get out of my head the, the instinct that it's time to go to church. I wouldn't have felt good on a Sunday morning staying at home. Even if even I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want, to want, I didn't want what church had to offer. But I just couldn't. I couldn't be comfortable. Why? Because my parents just never let up. They kept saying the same things over and over and over. I even told them at times. I know, look, it's just the same things you're saying. That's right. It's true things. Don't get tired of telling your kids the same things over and over and over. It's truth. I think sometimes we wish we could mix it up. You can't. Truth doesn't change. 
And so all you got is the same message. So God says the same thing over and over. We want to notice those things and we want to cherish those repetitions uh, instead of becoming numb to those repetitions. Well, finally, let's note uh, a couple of things here back in the text in Joshua 1. These words seem to build up, be strong and courageous. It's words, it's like a a speech before a, 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 a military campaign or much less profound before a, a football game, right? We're about to go out there, you know. We, we were talking, Buddy and I were talking about Churchill this morning. I, I love to read Churchill speeches. Uh, they just, they you give you chill bumps. You know, the, the, the moral certainty of those speeches. It says, we are going to go out there and we're going to fight. And he's even got that, that strength and courage that says that uh, the, when I say moral certainty, it's not we're going to win. It's we're going to fight. And if we all die, that's what we'll do because the only other option is losing to those folks and that's not an option because that's evil. And we're not just going to sit back and let evil happen. And so if he wipes this whole island out, he says the, the people, the nations from afar will come and pick up the fight. But we'll fight till our very last man. Man, it just that stirs you. That's what this is. Right? He's stirring Joshua up. But get this. He's stirring him up, yes, for a military campaign. So what is the what is the impetus? How, how, where's the strength gonna lie? We've already talked about I will be with you. But notice what he says in verse seven. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Verse 8 gets more explicit. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You think he's telling Joshua to take up a sword. What he's doing is telling him to take up a book. He says, you you go study my word night and day. And you, you study it so that you can be careful to do according to all that's written in it. You follow my word to a T. There is, uh, you know, talking about taking things out of context, there's a broad concept here of strength and courage. And I think people take, take notions up like that. And they say, here, strength and courage. What does that mean? It means study your Bible. And it means do what it says inside of it. Even when everybody looks at you like you are crazy for doing what it says in a 2,000-year-old book. Even more than 2,000-year-old. That's the new parts. And so we're doing that and people are just shaking their heads. And it takes some strength and it takes some courage. That's what it would be for these people. And very soon it would be strength and courage to do what God says when it looks totally foolish. Can you imagine... Here is Joshua leading them on their, their, the opening of their campaign. And the, the first city they come to is a walled city. And they do not have siege equipment. And they do not have all of the traditional methods of dealing with a, a walled city. So what are we going to do? What's the game plan here, Joshua? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to all be real quiet. And we're going to march around the city. Okay? I got it. We're scoping it out. That's fine. We can do that. March around the city. Now what, Joshua? Well, we're going to go to bed. 
And then tomorrow we're going to get up and we're going to do the same thing. All right, maybe we'll notice something we didn't notice yesterday. I guess. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. So we march around the city again. Now what? Can you imagine by the sixth day the people are going, Joshua, I don't know if this is a very effective means of taking a city. And he says, it's all right. Here's what we're going to do on the seventh day. We're going to march around seven times. And then we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to shout. Can you imagine at that point there might be some people questioning the leadership of this particular man? Saying, listen, we know that you're a good person, Joshua. You know, sometimes leaders, they're just good people, but they're not necessarily good leaders. And you're thinking, you know, shouldn't some swords be involved at some point here? No. We're just going to do what God says. And I know it seems like this is not the best path to take, but it's what God says. So we're going to follow it faithfully. And so it takes strength and courage, not just to take up your sword and go at traditional warfare, which they would do throughout the rest of this campaign. And God did want that kind of strength and courage. But He wanted the kind of strength and courage that would look at a situation and and for all your instincts to be pointing in one direction and God pointing in another and you say, I'm going to do the thing that just seems utterly at odds with what's best. Because God says it. And of course they're rewarded for their faithfulness. The walls do fall. And they are able to go and take the city with comparatively little effort. But that's the way it's been for for God's people. A lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we think in the Old Testament, strength and courage was more traditional. You know, it was it was, you know, fighting man to man. It was it was literal warfare. Well, that's true sometimes. Not all the time. You know, when they came up to the Red Sea, and here is the army. They didn't just come up to the Red Sea by happenstance. God led them around so it would look like they were lost. The text tells us that. God God intentionally made it look like they were lost to provoke Pharaoh to come out there and say, I'm going to get these people back. And so he comes out, and they're between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. And they say to Moses, what are we going to do? And he says, we're going to sit here. And we're we're going to stand still. We're going to be quiet and watch the Lord provide salvation. Don't you think running would be a better plan, Moses? No, we're going to sit here. And then... A wind comes and it parts that sea overnight and they, the, the sun rises on a sea that is separated. What are we going to do now? We're going to walk right through that. Psalmist would tell us as he describes that situation that, that the, the, the wind that came came with storm and it came with thundering and lightning. And so I dare say walking through the middle of that was a faithful act. Doing what God said was a faithful act. And so just walking away from the Egyptians, that's strength and courage. And over and over you see those stories that come up. You see stories that are very obvious uh, in, in the way that we put our faith in God. Gideon and his 300 men. God said, I, I want to make sure that you understand this whole situation is trusting me. I think that's what Jericho's about. They're about to go in and take the land. And so God says, I want to make sure that there's no confusion about who's really taking this land. So the first city, there's going to be no way you're going to walk away going, didn't we have a good plan there? You're going to, you, the only way you can walk away from taking Jericho is thinking, that's all God. 
Literally, all we did was walk around the city. And he gave it to us. So that going forward, when the warfare gets more traditional, they can still remember that even when it looks like it's more them, it's still God. Because from the get-go, God says, it's me. It's me. And I'll prove it to you that it's me. And so we, we, we rely on God. And we have to be very careful that even when we engage in what is a, a traditional means of doing something, we still put our faith in God. Our warfare is not physical. Our warfare is spiritual. And our weapons are spiritual. And we have to understand that, yes, we do have to engage in it with our mind. And we have to engage in, in traditional methods. In other words, we, we, we use traditional reasoning methods and communication methods. And we get websites and we, 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 we gather people the same way the world gathers people. And we use maybe even tactics that a salesman might use to some degree. But we're limited. We're limited because what we're doing is saying no matter what, we're still doing it by this pattern. And so the world might come in and they might say, well, you know, you'd be even more effective if you do it this way. Well, that would put us outside the bounds of this. You might look at the Israelites and all of their success and say, you know what would really help if y'all got some chariots? God said, we can't have those. You know what would really be helpful if you got some a good cavalry, get you some horses. God said we're not allowed to have many horses. And so they go and they fight in primitive ways even. Why? So God can get the glory. Maybe that's, maybe that's what God wants us to remember when what we do looks so primitive. Is that He's the one that gets the glory. And so we leave off on a lot of opportunities, a lot of methods that we might think would work better. But God says, here's my simple, simple plan. Because the, the, more, the more we get involved in looking at how the world doesn't try to do it, the more likely we are to say, look at all that we've done. But we don't do that. We say, look at what God's done. Look at what the glory that He gets. And there are so many... So much history among religious people of people robbing God of His glory and taking it on themselves. And so it takes courage. It takes strength and courage to stick our heads into this book and to be careful to do what it says when the rest of the world is disobeying that, when the rest of the world is indicating that, that there's far more success in other areas. And we say, you know what? I'm going to be careful to do according to all that's written in it. I'm not going to turn to the right. I'm not going to turn to the left. All that God has commanded. That's where strength and courage really is. And it's where it's always, always has been. Well, one more thing to add to that there in this chapter. As you get to the end, notice, um, well, beginning in verse 10, Joshua, it, it, it turns from God and Joshua having a conversation to, God, to Joshua and the people having a conversation. Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the midst of the camp, command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you are to cross the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. And, uh, and so uh, they answered Joshua in verse 16, All that you have commanded we will do and wherever you send us we will go. Verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Now stop right there. I wonder how confident giving that was to Joshua. Like, 
precisely how you obeyed Moses? I, I hope it'll be a little better than that. <laughs> you know, they're saying that like it's a good thing. And I, I suppose there's more obedience there than we realize. I think Moses commanded more respect than we realize. We get a lot of the, the rebellion recorded for us, but there are indications that the people had a tremendous regard for Moses in spite of it all. And this is one of those occasions. And certainly this generation, I don't know about the previous generation, but I think this generation can truly say, we respected what Moses said. This is the generation that when Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said that we're going to stay on this side of the Jordan, this is the generation that said, are you crazy? You're, you're going to defy God again and not go into the land? And of course, they said, no, 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 we'll go. We'll help you take the land. And then we'll come back to this land. Okay, it's all good. So they're zealous. At the end of this book, when Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh get back over there and they build an altar, this is the generation that's going to come up with swords in hand and say, we'll kill you all. And they say, no, no, no. We're not about to offer anything on this. This is just a memorial. And they put their swords back away like, okay. <laughs> but you watch out. <laughs> right? And so they're not playing. And so I think there, there is some trustworthiness here in this. We'll obey you like we obeyed Moses. Verse 18, anyone who rebels against your commandment and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. One of the most difficult things I think for us as Christians is to display love the way God wants us to because God's love is hard. It is soft and gentle and kind and a, and a light burden. But when, when you rebel against it, it is hard. And this is hard love right here. It's love not only for the people who are rebelling, but everybody else who might be influenced by that rebellion. And so when they stand up with Joshua, they say, we are with you, we are going to support you, and if you see anybody else out here who's not, you do what's necessary. And you be strong and courageous in doing it. And so it takes strength and courage because the rest of the world is saying, that's hateful. And it takes a lot to be able to look at them and say, no, it's not. It's not for hate. It is out of love. I think the world understands that to some degree. The world has this concept of love that love is making people feel good about themselves, having, you know, making people happy, giving them whatever they want. That's what love is. We know that's not true. I mean, everybody knows that's not true. You know that when you take someone for medical attention and the doctor does something that brings harm, you know, outside the medical context, things that doctors do are sadistic. <laughs> you know, you take your child and you say, hey, would you poke needles into my child, please? Would you, would you cut them open and remove parts of their body, please? That doesn't sound like a very loving thing to do. But it can be, can't it? And, and they, they put your child through pain. And you look, and, and, and when you're on the other side of it, you're like, ugh. You know, you want to step in front and keep them from that pain. What are you doing? You're helping them. And I don't understand why people can't get that through their heads, that when, we, when we're teaching God's Word, and we need to get it through our heads, when we're teaching God's Word, what we're saying is, I'm trying to keep you out of hell. What more... What more love could I have? The hatred would be not worrying about that, not being affected 
by the notion that you're going to lose your soul. And so, I, I, I think that that really drives the point home as to what kind of strength and courage we have. It's not just taking up a sword and going out and, and fighting the manly fight. It's, it's making those hard decisions and having hard conversations and telling people the truth when, when there's tears in your eyes and theirs. And even turning your back on them if you have to. And so he says, be strong and courageous. Well, what about you? You've got the strength to stand with God. That's what we've got to do. We've got to just, like Joshua, we've got to say, this is what he says. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care if, if it doesn't sound reasonable even to you. It's what God says. That's what we will be doing. And you've got to have that strength that is exemplified, not only in Joshua, but in so many of these characters of the of the Old Testament that are put there for good examples for us to follow. Hebrews picks them up and says, look at them. Pay attention to them. Follow that path. That eventually leads to the perfect example of Jesus. Well, our time is up. Uh, we will uh, break for a few minutes, I presume. And uh, is it 9.30 or 10.30 that we... All right, so appreciate your good attention.